on the right hand and the other on the left. Notice these four words in the middle of this verse. There they crucified him. This morning I want to talk to you about the gospel in four words. The gospel in four words. Father, we thank you, Father, for for the gospel, Father, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to us. Father, I just pray that we will ever be grateful and thankful, Father, for what you did for us, what we were never, ever able to do for ourselves. Let your anointing be upon this place today and upon this message and messenger today. God, give us ears on our heart. Father, if there's somebody here that, Lord, they do not know you as Lord and Savior, maybe they're backslid, maybe they're away from God, maybe they have sin in their life. God, I just pray that you will deal with them today, Lord. Let, let this place be filled, Lord, with your power, with your conviction, with your love, and with your presence, we ask for the glory of God. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Well, as I've already said in Luke chapter 23 and verse 33 that we read, we can find there the gospel in four words. There they crucified him. Now, I want us to take each and every one of these four uh, words separately this morning and talk about them today. First of all, the first word is there. There or, or the place. The place. The place where God expressed his unconditional and An unmatched love for man through his son Jesus Christ was a place called Calvary or a place called Golgotha. This was simply a hill or a small mountain. My wife and I have had the incredible opportunity and privilege of being there and seeing it. There are three things that I would like to suggest about Calvary or Golgotha. Three things I'd like to talk about, about the place this morning. Let me suggest, first of all, that it was a, it was a desolate place. It was a desolate place. Golgotha was a place outside of the city. John chapter 19 and verse 20 tells us this. There would be executions there. And so, so it must not be in the city, but it must be outside the city so as not to contaminate the city. Oh, the people would go there. They would go to watch. Some would even mock and ridicule and laugh and sneer and scorn. But when they were all done, they would go back to their homes away from this place. It was also a depressing Place John 19 and 20 calls it the place of the skull. Now there are two schools of thought as to why Golgotha or Calvary was called the place of the school of the skull. One theory and thought is is that the actual hill or mountain resembles that of a skull. The face of the mountain seems to have eyes and a nose and a mouth. And I have been there and I can attest to the fact that it does look like Golgotha, Calvary, does look like a skull with eyes and, and, and with mouth and, and, and with nose. The other school of thought is that it is said that there were actual skulls of people that had been executed there that were strewn up and down this hill. I don't know this morning, for matter of fact, why it is called the place of the skull. I don't know which one of these are right, or maybe perhaps, and probably it's both reasons. But I want to tell you that Golgotha was a very depressing 
place. It was not a place where you would want to have your Sunday school picnic. It was not the place that you would want to have church dinner on the ground. There is no doubt there was a very depressing spirit that abounded there. Not only was Golgotha or Calvary a desolate place and a depressing place, but but it was also a degrading place. Luke chapter 23 and verse 32 tells us that this was a place where criminals were executed. This was not one of the places that you would want to put on your resume. This was not a place where you would want to brag about one of your relatives having been. No, Golgotha was a very degrading place. There was a stigma attached to this place. Some of the most vulgar and vile and villainous men had been executed there. So my question this morning is, what was he doing there? Uh, if, if this was a place that was degrading, if this was a place of stigma that was attached to it, if this was a place where some of the most vulgar and vile and villainous men had been executed, what, what was he doing there? The sinless, perfect, loving Son of God. There, the place. There, They, the people, the people who would have the audacity to crucify the Son of God and to crucify Him alongside two common thieves. Let me suggest two types of people. Let me suggest, first of all, religious people. Religious people. Mark chapter 15, verse 6 through 14. If we had time, we could turn and read there. But not only there, but other scripture that tells us that Jesus was crucified by the religious people of his day. It was the religious people that called for his crucifixion. Religious leaders who did not understand him. Religious leaders who could not grasp nor comprehend the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would submit religious leaders who were jealous of him and jealous of his popularity and jealous of his following. Afraid, oh, that they might lose their followers. To him. The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. There they, the people, what people? Religious people. Rebellious people. Friend, from Adam until now, man has rebelled against God. Has rebelled against his laws. Has rebelled against his rules and his regulation. Do we not understand that God only gave man rules and regulations in order to help man, in order to enhance man, in order to make man's life better? And yet man has always thought he knew more than God. Man has always rebelled against God. Because of man's rebellion, because of man's rebellion, the sin that accompanied man's rebellion, how this sin separated men from God. And the only way that man could become reconciled with God was if sin was atoned for. Do you understand there is a penalty that accompanies sin? 
Do you understand that somebody had to pay the penalty for sin? Isaiah 53 and 6 tells us that on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for sin. On the cross, God placed all of man's sins upon His Son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 and 6 says, God has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. I don't know how God did it, but some way, somehow, God gathered up every sin that has ever been committed or ever would be committed somehow was placed in the cup of Gethsemane that Jesus would have to drink. And upon the cross, somehow God miraculously placed the sin of all mankind of past, present, and future age and placed them upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And there upon the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for all of the sin of man. There they They, the people, who were these people? Religious people, rebellious people. Oh, everyone beginning with Adam until the end of time as we know it. Them, they, us. Pastor, pastor, us? Us, yes, yes, us. Uh, We had a part, we had a part in nailing Jesus to the cross. Let me tell you this morning that we today are a part of they. Did you hear me? I said we that are here this morning, we today are a part of they. We today are a part of the people that caused Jesus to have to go to the cross because our sin, amen, was upon Christ, upon the cross. And he had to go there for us. And so we were a part of they. Let me tell you this morning, don't point an accusing finger at the religious leaders of Jesus' day who cried out, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Let Him be crucified! Oh, let me tell you this morning, do not point an accusing finger at the soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross because I tell you this morning that when you point an accusing finger at them, there are three fingers that are pointing right back at you. I'm telling you this morning that your sin was placed upon Jesus. I'm telling you that my sin was placed upon Jesus. We are a part of they. There. They. Crucified. The procedure. The act of crucifixion was of unprecedented proportion in every possible way. Listen, friend, we do not even have a clue as to what crucifixion actually entailed. The physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual torture of the cross was beyond comprehension. That being said, let me just briefly mention four things about the crucifixion. Four things about this procedure. Let me suggest, first of all, it was prophesied. It was prophesied. Hear me, friend. The crucifixion of our Lord and Savior was not an afterthought. Man did not sin. And then God says, oh, oops, what am I going to do now? I better figure out, I better, I better scurry around here and figure something out. What am I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Man has sinned and separated himself from me. What am I going to do? Let me tell you something, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ was not an afterthought. It was not done on a whim. Listen, friend, the ideal was not born in the heart of man. Listen, because of God's omniscience, because of His foreknowledge, 
Amen. God doesn't, doesn't make everything happen exactly a certain way, but God knows exactly how things are going to pan out. God knows to, what tomorrow's going to hold. He knows what's going to happen 10,000 years from now. He knows everything. Doesn't mean that He does, that it's, that He, uh, that He makes everything happen a certain way and takes away our free will. No. It simply knows that in His omniscience, He, He's aware and He knows the future as well as He knows the past and He knows the present. Because of God's omniscience and foreknowledge, He knows everything that will ever happen. He knows it before it happens. So friend, God knew before He created man. Before He created man in the garden, He knew that man was going to fail. I I have a hard time with that. (laughs) You know, there's some things that I'm willing to try, hoping to succeed. And if I don't succeed and I fail, okay, but I tried. But, but if I knew ahead of time that what I was going to try was going to fail, I don't know if I would do it. God knew before He created man that man was going to fail. He knew before He created man that man was going to break his heart. He knew before He created man that man was going to sin and separate himself from Him. Oh, oh so, so God planned before, say before. God planned before He even created man. God planned for the redemption of man. 1 Peter 1 and 20 says, Oh, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you. Isaiah prophesied and described the crucifixion of Jesus Christ hundreds of years before it happened. Isaiah chapter 53. Not only was the procedure of crucifixion prophesied, let me suggest it was, it was public. It was public. Luke 23 verse 35. And the people stood looking on. Nonchalantly here they are looking on. Even the rulers with them sneered, saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he is really the Son of God. Can you even imagine the humiliation that Jesus must have felt? Those that paint the portrait of Christ on the cross out of love for Christ, out of honor to Christ, they cover the loins of the Lord Jesus Christ in the pictures, but that's not the way it was. Jesus hanging there, totally naked, totally exposed as the public looked on, and there to hear them mock and ridicule and laugh and sneer and jeer. Oh, oh, perhaps they even threw rocks and sticks at him. Perhaps they even spat upon him. Friend, it's one thing to suffer in private. One thing to suffer in private. In private, you can moan and groan. You can cry. You can, you can yell. You can scream. You can stop your foot. Oh, you can, you know, you can do whatever you want to in private. Oh, in public, in public, it's different, isn't it? You know, when you're in the hospital and, and you're in much pain and people come to see you and you're just about to die in pain and they are stupid enough to ask you how you feel and, 
you grit your teeth and you tell them you're doing just fine and you're feeling fine and, and you do everything within your power to keep your dignity and you do everything in your power to keep your composure and you don't whine and you don't cry and you don't, you don't cry out and you don't lash out. You do your best because there, but oh, listen friend, Jesus didn't have the luxury of suffering in private. His pain, his agony, his suffering was done in public and every eye was upon him. Can you even imagine? Talk about the procedure right now, the crucifixion. It was prophesied and it was public and, and oh friend, it was painful. It was painful. There's absolutely no way that I can adequately describe the pain that Jesus endured on the cross. Crucifixion is said to be the absolute most painful death possible. It is said that crucifixion, there is no other kind of death that even comes close to the pain and the agony of crucifixion and the death of crucifixion. See, crucifixion was an art. It's an art. It wasn't just a way of killing somebody, but it was designed to torture for hours. Torture, pain, agony. Those who carried out the crucifixion were experts at what they did. They, they were experts. They were trained. It was an art. They knew just how to do it in order to be able to inflict the maximum amount of pain. They knew exactly where to place the hands. They knew exactly where to place the feet and the, the just what exactly how to do it in order to put that body in a place where it would have excruciating, unrelenting pain. It was so painful that, that they would even offer a mixture or a drink that would help them endure it. When they offered this drink that would numb their feeling and put them in a stupor. They offered it to the Lord Jesus Christ. When he noticed and realized what it was, he refused it. For he had no aid or help, but was willing to take full, the full punishment. Let there not be a doubt let not one sin be left out. He would pay the price for the sin of man. Matthew 27, 34 tells us that. The pain that Jesus endured on the cross is somewhat described in, in, in Psalm 22, verse 14 through 21. Oh, the prophecy, my, my life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surrounded me like a pack or surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. 
I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves. They throw dice for my clothing. Oh Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. Jesus was in such pain and agony on the cross that Mark says in his gospel, Mark 15 and 34, that Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friend, it wasn't just physical pain that Jesus endured. But emotional pain as well because, because with the sin of the world placed upon him, his heavenly Father, God the Father in his purity and in his righteousness could not look upon him. Friends, we do not even have a clue as to the, to the degree of pain that Jesus endured in this indescribable procedure called crucifixion. Not only was this procedure prophesied and public and painful, but let me suggest it was was also pardoning. He was pardoning. Hebrews 9 and 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without blood being shed, there's no forgiveness. 1 Corinthians 15 and 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. Because of Adam's decision to disobey God in the Garden of Eden, from that moment on, every single person who has ever been born will be born with a sin nature. Sin separates man from God. So sin must be punished. And so on the cross, Jesus paid the full penalty for sin. On the cross, Jesus made it possible for man to be reconciled to God. On the cross, Jesus became our substitute. He became our scapegoat. On the cross, Jesus did for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. And it would touch the life of every person born after Adam. Ah, but friend, likewise, by one man, Jesus Christ, every person born in sin would have the opportunity to be pardoned. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe upon Him would not perish but have everlasting My subject today is the gospel in four words. There, the place. They, the people, crucified the procedure. And the fourth word, Him. 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 The person. Oh, I've saved the best for last. Him. The person. Let me share three things about Jesus, the person of the gospel. Let me suggest, first of all, he was sinless. 
2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. I'm a PK, that means preacher's kid. I've been in church my whole life. Never, ever remember a time when I wasn't in church. My mama was my children's church teacher, leader, and she was good. Mama's good. I can remember some of those stories mama used to tell in children's church. I remember Barney's Barrel. That was always one of my favorites. I also remember a story when I was just a little bitty boy in children's church. My mama used to always tell. It's a story about Big Jim. Yeah, Big Jim and Little Tim. It was called, He Took My Whipping for Me. My mama could tell it good. I wish she was here to tell it this morning. But the story goes, and I'll make it a, 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 a... That was her whole sermon, so I'll just do it in about three minutes, hopefully. Condense it, but the story was if years ago in a one-room schoolhouse, and very few remember that. I don't even remember that, although I've heard of it, but I, it didn't happen to me. One-room schoolhouse many, many years ago where everybody from first grade to twelfth were in the same room. Out in the country. Everyone would bring their lunch because there's no lunch cafeteria. There's no Dairy Queen across the street to go to. Everybody would bring their lunch. And one day it was discovered that one of the lunches had been stolen. An investigation was found, was done, and it was found that little Tim, little Tim who came to school every day without a lunch, little Tim who came with unkept hair and dirty clothes, Little Tim, who came from a very, very poor family. A little scrawny little boy who barely had enough food to keep himself alive. But it was discovered that little Tim had stolen the lunch. They had made rules at the beginning of the school year. And one of the rules was anybody found stealing would get ten lashes on the back. That was a long time ago when they had corporal punishment in school. Ten lashes on the back. Anyone found stealing, it was discovered that little Tim had stolen the lunch and eaten it. Little Tim didn't want to steal the lunch, but he was so hungry. He hadn't eaten, he was scrawny, he, was, he barely had enough food to keep. But it was discovered that little Tim, little Tim had taken the lunch. And nobody in the schoolroom wanted little Tim to get punished. Because they understood he only took the lunch because he was so hungry. But the teacher said, but you made the rules at the beginning of the year. And the rules say that stealing is punished by ten lashes on the bare back. I don't want to do it either, the teacher said, but we made the rules. And rules are rules. And if we start not enforcing the rules, then it'll go from one rule to the next to the next to the next. I've got to do this. Come, little Tim, come. Take off your shirt. Stand in front of the class. I must give you ten lashes on the back. Little Tim came to the front and took off his coat, or took off his shirt. There the bones were sticking out in little Tim because he was so malnourished. And he bent over the 
desk of the teacher. And the teacher reared back the whip. And Big Jim stands up. And Big Jim says, don't do it. Don't do it. It says, stealing is punished by ten lashes on the back. But it doesn't say who. And he took his shirt off. And he said, I, I will take the whipping for little Tim. And oh, my mama can tell that story. And mama bears down when she makes those lashes. I don't have time to do it. I don't have time to do it. Oh, 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 he was sinless. Oh, he was sin- He wasn't crucified for his sin. He was crucified for our sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And here, let me suggest also, not only was he sinless, but he was surrendered. Surrendered. The Bible says that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Oh, I can just imagine that it took several men to manhandle these thieves. I'm sure they put up quite a struggle and trying to escape and keep themselves off of their cross. Not so with Jesus. There was not one ounce of struggle. John 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, I lay down my life. Jesus said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command, he said, I have received of my Father. Oh, as the thief on the right and the thief on the left of Jesus was cursing and kicking and biting and gouging and spitting and cursing and doing everything within their power to keep themselves off of the cross, I can see in my mind's eye Jesus very gently and very lovingly laying down on the cross. Stretching out one arm and allowing them to nail it to the cross. And then the next arm. And then the feet as he crossed them and placed them in the right place. I'm talking about him right now, the person. Jesus. He surrendered his life on the cross, laying it down for you and me. Listen, friend, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to die. Even at the very last moment, he could have changed his mind. He didn't have to die. Matthew 26 and 53. Jesus said, Don't you understand that I could ask my Father and He would send me twelve legions of angels and they would protect me. I'm going to date myself. But it's okay in this crowd. Most of you. Remember an old song we used to sing? He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone. 
for you and me. Not only was Jesus sinless and surrendered, but he was and he is the Savior. 1 John 4 and 14, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Matthew 1, 21, His name shall be called Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Oh, oh, friend, on the cross, Jesus became the Savior of the world. Let me tell you this morning, no one has ever been too wicked. No one has ever been too vile. No one has ever been too ungodly. Let me tell you, friend, no one has sunk too low. No one is too far from God that the love of Jesus Christ amen can reach them. I'm telling you he's the Savior this morning. He's the Savior of the world. Would you give him a shout of praise in his house today? If we could get the musicians and the singers back in place this morning. There you have it this morning the gospel. In four words, momentarily we'll be taking communion, so please don't, please make sure to remember that. There we have it this morning, the gospel in four words. There, there, the place, the place, they, the people, crucified, the procedure, Him. Person. There they crucified him. The gospel in four words. Father, I just pray today that you'll take the gospel today, the gospel that has been preached today, take the gospel message today. Let it do its work. Let salvation come. In this house today, in Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning and nobody is looking around, nobody's moving around now. If you're in this room this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ and what He did for you on the cross, You've never given your life to Christ. You've never been saved. If that's you this morning and today is your day, you want to give your life to Christ. Today you want to embrace what Jesus did on the cross. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand real quickly this morning. I want to acknowledge that you have lifted it. I'm not going to tell anyone who this is. I just This is between you and God today. Anyone in this room this morning. I wonder if you might be here this morning. Maybe you're... You're a backslider today. You're away from God today. And you want to return to Him today. If that be you this morning, I want you to lift your hand. Let me recognize you have lifted your hand today. God bless you. Thank you so much. You can put your hand down this morning. Anyone else? I'm a backslider. I'm away from God today. I want to return to Him this morning. Anyone else? All right, maybe you're here this morning and you have sin in your life and you want to ask the Lord and you want to repent over that sin and ask the Lord to forgive you today. 
that's you this morning. Let me see your hand today. Amen. God bless you and you today. And you, yeah, several. Several have lifted their hand this morning. This morning, I want everyone to repeat this prayer with me, praying it from your heart, and not just from your lips. Those of you that lifted.